Apple acquires machine learning startup Turi, DARPA's autonomous hackerbot challenge, and Kama AI's autonomous driving dataset, and tons more on this week in machine learning and AI. Hello and welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI, the podcast where I bring you the week's most interesting and important stories from the worlds of machine learning and artificial intelligence. I'm Sam Charrington and today is Friday, August 5th, 2016. Hello everyone and welcome to today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the interview last week. I really enjoyed doing it, and I'm looking forward to bringing you more interviews like that in the weeks to come. If there are any particular people you'd really like to hear me interview, please let me know via Twitter, where you can reach me at at TwimmelAI, T-W-I-M-L-A-I, or at Sam Charrington, or by leaving a comment in the show notes. We've got tons to talk about this week, so let's jump right into our top stories. While I was preparing my notes for today's podcast, news broke of Apple's acquisition of Seattle-based machine learning startup Turi for a reported $200 million. You'll recall that we spoke about Turi just a few weeks ago in the context of the Data Science Summit that the company hosted in San Francisco, shortly after changing its name from Datto due to a legal dispute. The company, which was originally called GraphLab, was one of the first companies I started following in the machine learning platform space, and I'm pretty excited for founders Carlos Gestrin and Danny Bixen. At face value, this is a great deal for both Apple and Turi. As we've discussed, Apple needs all the help it can get in machine learning and AI, and the company has over $230 billion with a B dollars sitting around in cash, so they can definitely afford it. And from Turi's perspective, The purchase price is about four times invested capital, so it's a solid exit for a team of first-time founders from academia and a space in which many of their contemporaries have struggled. But the question remains as to what's next. This acquisition doesn't really make sense if Turi is to remain an independent company. Like I said, Apple really needs the help, particularly internally fighting the quote-unquote AI culture war that we've talked about on the show before. And the company hasn't had much success as an enterprise software player. And that's the market in which Turi currently competes. At the same time, in Turi CEO Carlos Gestrin, Apple could have a great machine learning standard bearer. Carlos is not only a business leader and a respected machine learning researcher, but also a great teacher with a popular machine learning course series on Coursera. So it's likely that, as TechCrunch suggests, Turi is discontinuing its existing products and is reborn as Apple's new machine learning and AI development center. As a result, if this is in fact how this plays out, winners in this deal, in addition to the Apple and Turi teams, include Seattle, which has been gaining a bit of notoriety of late as a cloud computing and now machine learning hotspot, and will see an influx of new wealth as a result of this deal as well as Turi competitors in the machine learning platform space. These are folks like H2O, Upstart Data Robot, and the French firm Detaiku, who will all have one less competitor to worry about and a solid exit to point to as a comparable. Detaiku, for its part, 
announced the 3.1 version of its product, the Taiku Data Science Studio, earlier in the week. The update adds support for HPE Vertica, H2O Sparkling Water, Spark ML Lib, Scikit-Learn, and XGBoost from within the DSS Visual Analysis tool, as well as integration with IBM Netiza, SAP HANA, and Google BigQuery on the back end. Coming back to the Apple and Turi deal, it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out, and of course, I'll keep you posted. Each year, computer security conferences host a high-tech version of the kids' game, Capture the Flag, so that teams of hackers and security researchers can demonstrate their hacking prowess. The game requires teams to secure a computer system by identifying intentional and unintentional vulnerabilities in various software modules while launching and defending against threats from competitive teams. This week, DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, hosted a version of a Capture the Flag contest where the teams were autonomous bots. The event, held Thursday in Las Vegas as part of the DEF CON Security Conference, was the final competition in the agency's Cyber Grand Challenge, a $55 million hacking contest designed to spur innovation in the area of autonomous cyber warfare. Several teams of researchers from across the country fielded bot systems that competed with one another to autonomously identify and patch software vulnerabilities that were planted in their systems by DARPA while deflecting attacks from competing bots and launching their own attacks against the computer systems those bots were protecting. Teams' bots were scored on their ability to secure their own software and services, ensure the continued availability of those services, and take advantage of vulnerabilities in competing team systems. From the looks of it, DARPA constructed a pretty elaborate physical environment for the contest, complete with an air gap to ensure that each system was acting totally on its own. Announcers followed along with the 96 rounds of action and provided a live play-by-play for onlookers, while referees ensured that each team followed the rules. With each round, DARPA deployed a new set of software for the bots to both defend and attack. I watched segments of the four-plus-hour-long live stream video from the final competition and found it pretty fascinating. But I failed in my attempt to find any details on how the various bot systems work. Cade Metz's coverage of the competition for Wired painted an interesting picture of the different strategies each bot pursued in the contest. One bot, Rubius, built by federal contractor Raytheon, took a pretty aggressive tack, going after vulnerabilities in the other systems pretty much from the get-go. While another bot, Mech.Fish, didn't perform as well overall, but it did have a knack for finding and exploiting complex and subtle bugs in the challenge code. Mayhem, a bot fielded by a team from Carnegie Mellon spin-out For All Secure and the eventual winner of the $2 million first prize, seemed rather focused on patching its own systems and keeping them up and running. The bot reportedly used statistical analyses throughout the game to weigh the costs and benefits of patching vulnerabilities, which has inherent risks and demands service downtime, and would only decide to patch those holes that made sense based on this analysis. Cybersecurity is an important and rapidly evolving use case for machine learning and AI, 
and there's been quite a bit of commercial activity in the area in addition to innovation and research activities like the Cyber Grand Challenge. This week's startup, Distill Networks, closed a $21 million Series C funding round to help enterprise customers separate good bots from bad ones and keep the latter off of their websites. Note that we're not talking about chatbots here, but rather the kind of web bots that abuse APIs, scrape websites, and probe them for vulnerabilities. The company uses machine learning techniques to detect when a bot is trying to cloak its activity by spoofing multiple user accounts, browsers, and locations. And last month, another cybersecurity startup, Darktrace Limited, raised a $64 million Series C to help enterprises identify and defend against a variety of network threats. I hit on more business stories after the jump. In other financial news, startup Cognitive Scale, which bills itself as quote-unquote the cognitive cloud company, announced the close of a $21.8 million Series B financing led by Norwest Ventures and Intel Capital. Intel's been a pretty busy investor in the machine learning space. And you'll recall we touched on their ITSE's acquisition and Lumiata investment back in June. While the company's website is pretty buzzword rich, as best as I can tell, Cognitive Scale offers a cloud-based business intelligence platform for large enterprises consisting of an integrated Hadoop data lake and data warehouse connected to a set of quote-unquote cognitive APIs, which include things like deep learning and machine learning, that can to some degree or another automate the discovery of relationships within the collected data sets and create personalized recommendations for customers. The Austin-based company seems to be doing something right, as it counts Macy's, Nestle, Barclays, Procter & Gamble, and the MD Anderson Cancer Center among its clients. Another startup, People.ai, this one a much earlier stage company, launched this week as part of Incubator Y Combinator's Summer Batch. The company applies machine learning technologies to give sales reps predictive coaching based on past successes and data gleaned from a variety of different data sources. In this regard, it looks like People.ai is offering something similar to that of more established InsideSales.com, which also relies heavily on machine learning and advanced analytics. Finally, another quick note before we move on. I've talked quite a bit about neural artistic style transfer and the popular Prisma app that implements it for iOS and now Android. And now there's a new app on the scene called Artisto that does something similar for video. Unfortunately, as was the case for Prisma in the beginning, it's only available on iOS right now. I've actually found Prisma to be pretty slow on my device. And since Artisto is working with video, I'd have to imagine it'll be quite a bit slower. So I'm not sure how usable it'll be. But if you've played with it, let me know on Twitter or in the show notes comments. Next up, let's hit some top tech stories. One of our top stories a couple of weeks ago was the launch of the new NVIDIA Titan X GPU. At the time... It wasn't in the hands of any users, so any thoughts on relative performance were either vendor-provided or speculative. Well, a couple of researchers on the team behind the MXNet Deep Learning Library 
were among the lucky folks to get their hands on this new GPU. And they've already published an initial benchmark this week using the DeepMark Deep Learning Benchmarking Protocol. In a nutshell, they confirm the speculation. The Pascal Titan X is about 30% faster than the GTX 1080, and its larger memory supports larger batch sizes for deep learning models like VGG and ResNet. Relative to the older Maxwell-based Titan X, the new GPU is 40 to 60% faster. If a single GPU isn't enough for you, you might be interested in the new prototype announced by Orange Silicon Valley and CocoLink Corp., which they're calling the world's highest density deep learning supercomputer in a box. The machine loads 20 overclocked GPUs into a single 4U rack unit, offering 57,600 cores and delivering 100 teraflops. The team at Orange report that an ImageNet training job that used to take one and a half days with a single NVIDIA K40 GPU can now be done in about three and a half hours using eight GTX 1080s. The largest they've been able to scale the training job is to 16 out of the 20 GPUs, but they're continuing to work on scaling this to use the full complement of them. Also in GPU news, Microsoft announced yesterday that the Azure N-Series virtual machines are now available for preview. These VMs use Tesla K80 GPUs, and the company claims these offer the fastest computational GPU performance available in the public cloud. Moreover, unlike other cloud providers, these VMs expose the GPUs through what's called a discrete device assignment, or DDA, resulting in near bare metal performance. 6, 12, and 24 core flavors are available in the NC series of VM, which is optimized for computational workloads. An NV series that focuses more on visualization workloads is also available based on the Tesla M60 GPUs. Next up, research. We've talked fairly extensively about the use of deep learning in medicine in previous shows. Breast cancer and eye disease were a couple of the use cases we discussed, with both of these sharing the common feature that they're based on deep learning analysis of imagery. Well, this week a team of researchers from Princeton University published a paper outlining their work applying machine learning to the challenge of identifying genetic causes of autism, And this one takes a totally different form. The genetic causes for autism, or autism spectrum disorder, ASD, have been difficult for researchers to track down. The autism research community had identified about 65 genes associated with autism risk, mostly through sequencing. But it's believed that those are but a fraction of the 400 to 1,000 genes likely to be involved in production of the disease. To try to identify additional genetic actors in autism susceptibility, the Princeton team used what they call a brain-specific functional interaction network, which they developed in previous research. This brain-specific network is a functional map of the brain. It's expressed as a probabilistic graph of how different genes function together in different pathways in the brain. The team then used machine learning to train a classifier 
based on the connectivity patterns between these known ASD genes and other genes in the brain-specific network. And then they use this classifier to predict the level of potential ASD association for every gene in the genome. Specifically, they use the support vector machine classifier and the connectivity of the known ASD genes to the other genes in the brain-specific network were the features that they fed it. Admittedly, I'm trivializing the ideas around the brain-specific network and how it works and how it translates into features for the machine learning model, mostly because I don't really understand it. But this is a great example and a reminder that most of the magic in machine learning is in feature engineering. And this brain-specific network that these researchers developed is essentially uh, a, a feature engineering exercise for their machine learning model. Now, based on their method, the team was able to identify a number of candidate genes that had no prior genetic evidence of ASD association and has since gone on to validate many of these candidates through sequencing. Their results can thus be used as the basis for further analysis into the genetic causes of autism. This is all super interesting stuff. Definitely check out this paper if you've got a background or interest in the medical applications of machine learning. A couple of other interesting research papers caught my eye this week. First, researchers from security firm ZeroFox published a paper called Weaponizing Data Science for Social Engineering, Automated E2E Spear Phishing on Twitter. Spear phishing, if you haven't heard the term, is like phishing but is targeted at a particular user. You're typically trying to get a user to click a link that will trick them into giving up some credentials. What the ZeroFox team did was create a tool called Snapper that first rates a list of Twitter users based on their likely susceptibility to a spear phishing attack and then uses a neural network to produce effective spear phishing tweets. If you heard that and immediately thought, oh, they're probably using a long short-term memory RNN, you're exactly right. That's what they did. All right. This next paper is one I really love. It's basically a Twitter sarcasm detector created by researchers at the University of Lisbon in Portugal and UT Austin. It works based on embeddings, a type of word vector, which come up all the time in natural language processing and are something that I'd really like to dig into and learn more about. The team uses what they call user embeddings, which, as far as I can tell, seem to map the user space to the word vector. And these embeddings are fed into a convolutional neural net model and trained on tweaks that are self-identified as sarcastic through the use of a sarcasm or sarcastic hashtag. In the paper, the researchers show that their model is able to outperform other recently published state-of-the-art models for sarcasm detection by over 2%. Last but not least, projects after the jump. Autonomous driving startup Comma.ai released this week a small data set that lets you try your hand at building your own models for controlling a self-driving vehicle. The data set consists of 10 video clips 
recorded from a camera mounted on the windshield of the company's Acura ILX 2016. There's about seven hours of video in total, captured mostly during highway driving. Alongside the video files are a set of sensor logs, where measurements such as velocity, acceleration, steering angle, GPS location, and gyroscope angles are recorded. The dataset is a 45-gig compressed zip file that explodes to 80 gigs when uncompressed. That is, if you can get it to uncompress. When I tried, after the fairly long download, Unzip complained about the file being corrupt. The project's GitHub repo includes a script to download the data from archive.org, where it's hosted, as well as some simple models built using Keras and TensorFlow that predict steering angle and can be used to create simulated road images using a generative AI. They've also included a paper on the latter topic. The idea is that since it's pretty expensive to train a self-driving car on real roads, you typically want to train your algorithms using a simulator. To do that, you can either hand code a simulator or use a generative AI to create one. The paper describes the use of variational autoencoders and generative adversarial networks, along with a recurrent neural network, to create simulated road images. You can start by running their existing models, but if you manage to do amazing things with the data, let Kama know. They're hiring and they want to meet you. Another interesting project I came across this week is the Deep Dream Project, created by a group of Google research researchers. It was actually originally published last month, but somehow I'm just getting to it now. At first glance, the output of this project looks a bit like a crappy implementation of neural artistic style transfer, but it's really much more than that. The idea is that a typical deep neural network for image classification has anywhere from 10 to 30 layers that interpret a range of image qualities, with the early layers in the network capturing very low-level features such as edges, and the later layers capturing high-level shapes such as faces. So what this team has done is to create a system that tries to show quote-unquote how a neural network thinks by enhancing a supplied image, a new image, using a given layer of a pre-trained deep neural network. The resulting system does indeed create dreamy-looking images, thus the name of the project. Images that are enhanced using early layers in the pre-trained network come out looking noisy. Images enhanced using the middle layers appear to be overlaying with simple shapes like circles. And images using the latter layers are pretty freakily overlaying with shapes and features that look like eyes or faces. The code for the project is open source in the form of a cafe-based IPython notebook, and the entire project looks pretty fun to play with. This week, perhaps more than any other week, I came across a bunch of cool research, projects, and other learning resources that I'd like to share with you. But we're out of time. If you've already subscribed to my newsletter, you'll be hearing about these when I get the next edition out early next week. If you haven't subscribed yet, visit twimlai.com newsletter to sign up. All right, that's our show for today. Before we go, 
I want to tell you about another event that I'm looking forward to. This one is the O'Reilly AI Conference, and it's going to be held from September 26th to 27th in New York City, my hometown. The AI Conference is a new one for O'Reilly, but it runs the same week as Strata, their Hadoop and Big Data event that I've been attending for years. The event's got a pretty impressive lineup of speakers, including Jan LeCun from Facebook, Peter Norvig from Google, and many more. The folks at O'Reilly have arranged for a 20% discount code for Twimmo listeners. And even better, next week I'll be launching a drawing for a free pass to the conference. You'll find the discount pass details, along with the links to all the resources I've shared in this show, in the show notes, which you'll find at twimmelaicom slash 12, the number 12. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.